Welcome to Roots and Ruminants, your podcast for creative and innovative use of farm, pasture, and rangeland. We're going back to the basics of raising and grazing livestock, growing your own forage, and practical land use. Well, we're back with another episode of Roots and Ruminants podcast. We're on to episode five now, and uh, so far, so good with the four episodes down. We got, uh, Corinne was telling us the statistics here just a little bit, little bit ago, and Thank you to everybody that's been listening. This is good. Um, we've got a we've got a pretty good guest, wouldn't you say, Jared? Above above average. above average, slightly above, above average. average. Yeah. yeah, not so much um, average, but slightly well, above average. At least oh. above average. <laughs> well, you're being pretty generous there. Thanks. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> our guest today is as is one of our good friends and uh, kind of a star out there in the ranching world lately. His yeah. name's Britton Blair. From Vale, South Dakota, he'll claim. Ranch out in Sturgis, South Dakota. And uh, Britton's a great guy. Smart, intelligent, has a great family operation. We're going to let him um, take the lead and give us the history of Blair Brothers Angus to start off with. Does that sound good, Britton? That sounds good. All right. I'm in the press a lot. I think it's just uh, if you just say yes when they call, you that's when they take you, I think, is all you got to do. So, I remember uh, at Black Hill Stock Show this last year, we were walking around. I saw at least three pull-up banners um, in the trade show with your image on it. And uh, In fact, I told that one kid that uh, you were going to sign autographs for him because he was sitting there staring at it, and he walked by. Remember that? Well, I could have. I think we're, I think we're just close to town, and they call, and I say I'll do it. <laughs> that's all you got to do to get your name on the list. There you go. You were yeah. actually mentioned in our first our first episode, and that's kind of what what you know gets you to the front of the list here is you and Matthew McConaughey, and so uh, so we're still waiting on Matthew, I think. But yeah, I think I told James some good quotes after that that he should have used, but <laughs> now he uses them every day. Well, feel free to inform us during this time that <laughs> okay. we have together. But okay, back to the history. <laughs> the history. Sings. Well, I don't know how long you want. Um, the Blairs, there was originally, like, my great-grandpa and his three brothers came out of uh, Missouri in 1906 or 7 and settled just south of Sturgis. Um, I think we came to this place north of Sturgis in 19... Oh, those guys sat down in 1946 after all the boys came home from the war and split the place up in one day and all went out to supper afterwards. I mean, that was pretty amazing, I think. And they and, sat at the uh, same table and ate together. Oh, I think so. Yeah, they just, you know, all the boys were home, and it was kind of time to probably split it up, and they did, and it all worked out. But we came to this place in, like, 52 or 54, north of Sturgis. Um, I don't know. It's really not much of a ranch, is what Ed says. <laughs> <laughs> There's not a lot of winter protection, not a lot of, I don't know real outstanding features, but I think it kind of made us who we are today, you know, just the way we do things and manage things. And I want um, to get into this later, but your South place, uh, you know, where the, the feed yard and things are, that is that, was that farmed at one point? Is that a lot of crested and introduced grasses or is that all some of it was, yeah. you know, um, grandpa did a lot of wheat farming, probably had 150 cows mm-hmm. and farmed some wheat. Um, nobody here likes to farm all the all the wheat ground is now hay or back to pasture land kind of you know in my time we've just changed 
a few hay fields just over to pastures by starting to graze them, you know, yep. <laughs> the alfalfa was diminishing anyway. So we just kind of started grazing instead of hand those pieces. But well, let's start off with the, let's start talking about the ruminants. Uh, let's lead with the ruminants this episode. Um, tell us about your cow herd. Tell us about the flywheel that, uh, that you have that, that base Angus cow herd that you're using. What different marketable products are coming out of that? How is that feeding into providing opportunity for everybody in the operation? And, and how has it changed over time? Cause you have a kind of a unconventional way of getting into the seed stock business where you uh, didn't buy registered females, you know, or start out with the premise that, that you were going to get there. It kind of happened in a different path. Right, you know, they would have been, oh, they would have started out with Hereford cows like everybody in South Dakota did. And um, I don't know, we kind of started putting black bulls on stuff and we had some baldy cows for a while and we even put Charlays on those. And at that time, we were really wanting to buy some Cavanese heifer bulls and we couldn't get any and couldn't get what we wanted. And so we started AIing. That's probably in 1989 or so. Started AIing for uh, for Cavanese, so we could calve some heifers, or I'm sure we were calving heifers. But um, oh, through AIing, and then kind of people saw what we were doing, so people would ask us to save a few bulls. And then in 1994. Five, I think when us premium started, we'd already been kind of doing some stuff through the calf value discovery thing with SDSU and had learned that kind of the top end of the Angus would keep up with the top end of the Charlays, but the bottom end wouldn't. So we started selecting for kind of cavities with some growth and AI and everything and did a lot more AI. And in 95, when us premium started, it kind of gave us a direction with the cow herd, I would say, and targeting the value-based grid that they provided. Um, with that, people just kind of asked us to save a few bulls, and we started saving some bulls. And I think my dad had a conversation with an order buyer, and uh, he told Ed one day, he said, you know, I think it'd be easier to sell 300 bulls than it would 30 bulls. <laughs> and Ed said, okay, and that's kind of how we got in the bull business. We're up to about 400 to 450 bulls a year now. Um, operation consists of two ranches. One ranch is 12 miles north of Sturgis. The other one's 25 miles north of Belfouche. We bought that ranch in 2014. Awesome. And the ranches have quite a bit of differences to them as well, right? So the one, like I said, there's a fair amount of wheat farm that's right next to uh, irrigation project. Um, it's not that far from, from Sturgis from towns right on the highway. Uh, the other one's a little bit more isolated, right? Yep. There's, yeah. There's no wheat farming anymore. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll have a few hay acres and can run, Oh, 450 cows here. The, you know, close to a feed source, like you said, the irrigate or irrigation projects only five miles away or something. So we're able to buy some feed off of that kind of and we have a feedlot here um after we bought that ranch we kind of went to cabin all the first calf heifers at this ranch and then kind of what i call the first cycle three-year-olds because we'll synchronize and ai all the cows and all the heifers and then we'll actually pull 
heats on the second cycles. They'll come back in really tight for five to seven days, and we'll heat detect on those and pull them and just increase our AI conception rate or AI percentage of their cows. So we're having all the young cows here. At that time, they'll move up to Chad's place, and uh, that's where they'll stay till they're off the operation. So you mentioned, I mean, obviously you've talked about the AI um, part of things and the you know the genetics of what you've done. Uh, you were were you originally selecting <clears throat> for quality based off of um, you know striving for a higher premium cattle on the grid, right? Is kind of what you're alluding to. Yep, that was a bit so, of a focus. Yep. So how do you do that and live north of Sturgis and ranch cows in Belfue, South Dakota? and maintain, you know, the, the functional aspects of a maternal cow. Oh, geez. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, so we got conflicting traits. You need cattle that perform, that still grade, but can still run on a low-maintenance system. Right. I mean, yeah, we want, you know, most of our customers want Cavanese. Um so we don't use anything with a huge birth weight. Um, you know, we want a good cow that'll work out here. We don't have a lot of feed resources, you know. Um, you know, we select for kind of smaller mature height or more moderate. If a, if a cow just keeps growing all her life, she just grows tall and gets really skinny out here, you know. Um, we never thought marbling was a, a trait that hurt the cow you know Uh, i think that's a big misconception in the industry you know everybody says carcass cattle won't great or are not easy fleshing carcass cattle are not easy fleshing and then i think that you know they're confused by that everybody wants to talk carcass i think what they start the big thing is they don't know the difference between yield grade and quality grade Mm -hmm. yeah that's a good place to start uh, if you're going to try and go down this path, you should you should try and work on right. And straight. I think people consider carcass maybe yield grade, and that will make a yield grade ones and twos do make a tall, skinny, ugly cow. Mm-hmm. Yep. But marbling a field, you know, have they have they done much in terms of correlation between uh, maternal strengths and quality grade? Because marbling, right, it, it happens, in, intramuscular Intra. fat comes with maturity. Yeah. Yes. The marbling. But, and it's but, not. Unless you have genetics, I think you can do it quicker, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, right. So, but an early maturing cow will come into heat sooner, reach puberty quicker. She should become a functional cow quicker. Yeah. Because if she's right. really maturing, she should probably have a, a quicker to establish marbling curve. Yeah. Although I, I don't know that I could. I can't say that. Yeah, but it makes yeah. sense. <laughs> that correlation seems to make correlation. sense. Right. Mm, but I don't know. We feel like we have high marbling, easy fleshing cows that do well in our environment. Yep. I think we screw that up a lot. We talk about marbling too much, and we don't talk about all the other things that we like in a cow either, you know. <laughs> Right. Yeah. That's just one piece of the puzzle. And why the focus on marbling is that's the one thing that we can see that has a premium in the industry. Sure. It doesn't cost you any more to run that cow. It doesn't cost you any more to feed that cow. 
and in the end she's producing a higher quality calf that is worth you know times thirty dollars a hundred weight premium for a prime yeah it's huge it's a big deal so how do you capture that well we you know we started out wanting to retain ownership and then we kind of got into the bull deal and don't have a lot of steers to retain ownership on anymore so what we mostly retain ownership on you know we'll well, AI, two cycles of heifers, kick bulls in and sell all the bull breads. That's with the cows, too. We keep everything AI and sell anything that's bull bread. And then, like, the opens, when we preg those heifers, we'll kind of try to do that the middle of August. They're pregged open. We'll ship them to Kansas to a feedlot. And then the goal is to have them done kind of that last week, end of December. That's kind of when the choice select spread is predictably the highest. Mm-hmm. You know, people are buying into Christmas and um, it's on a four week rolling average. So that's kind of a predictable time for the choice select spread to be high. And that's kind of what we target with those. We'll also, you know, take the bottom end of the bulls and ban those and feed them and stuff that doesn't test, you know, or whatever. Yep. Bad attitude bulls, stuff people don't want. We'll ban those and feed those and kill everything on the grid. Yep. So we just talked about a lot of duties, like broad spectrum duties that take different skill sets. And that's not just you there at the ranch, right? Right. So the operation consists of my dad and my uncle. They're the original Blair brothers. And then uh, me and my cousin Chad. And we were all kind of at this place, and we've had some ranches in between. And then when we bought that place north of Bell, Chad and his wife moved up there. And those two and their two kids pretty well run the whole thing. Um, Down at home, we have a kind of feedlot or background and lot. We also have one right next to Vale. And then, so Ed and I are here. My dad has a commodities office, and he'll kind of come out in most of the afternoons. We also employ two people, um, kind of a full-time guy and kind of a part-time guy. And then this got a summer intern this summer. But but we'll also, uh, you know, got to buy in a lot of customer calves. So we'll buy a lot of customer steers, Um, ship some straight to the feed yard. We'll background some for 60 days, take them to the feed yard in Kansas. And we're also feeding in Nebraska and also background some all summer and run yearlings. Oh, we got some lease just into Montana by Alzada. And we also have a lease East of Newell. And we'll also buy about a thousand customer heifers a year and, uh, breed those and have built a pretty good, uh, bread heifer market for those things. It's a lot of, it's a lot of moving parts. Like I said, the cow herd is the, is the base and there's a whole bunch of value added things that are stemming off that. Tell us about, uh, also your, your bride, your wife is a, as a PhD in meat science works for SDSU. So she's the one that kind of makes sure everybody knows the difference between yield and quality grade. Oh yeah, we we knew it without her, but she <laughs> she's better at sure teaching other people what it is. Sure you did, sure you did. Yeah, no. Um, okay, tell us about the, tell us about yearling programs and what we know. Take our combination of what what we have learned and what you've learned, if you don't mind sharing about 
how to take ruminants and put them on top of roots in a yearling program from a marketing flexibility standpoint and from a quality grade standpoint. Your yearling program on purchased cattle and that kind of stuff. What do those cattle perform like and what's that do for them? That time, extra time on grass. Yeah, you know, we really started into that when the last time corn was $7. Mm. And the theory being was we were just trying to get into the new crop of corn. <laughs> and we didn't realize really how good it worked. You know, most yearling deals would, you know, pretty well buy, price buy calves and put them together and, you know, put themselves in the commodity deal and just putting pounds of gain on for cheap. Right. Mm -hmm. And, uh, we'll take some of those calves, you know, we've taken some 580 pound calves and backgrounded them through the winter and kicked them out weighing 860. And you think that's crazy and it's not really the norm, you know, and we've kicked cattle out that look way too fleshy to go to grass. But the theory is you just got to get eating less corn and get into that December market and, fill some holes but it it works really awesome and those those cattle come off grass 960 or a thousand i think that that's all the nutrition that's in that grass is to get them to 960 or 980 to be honest with you but we ship them to kansas and when they get to kansas they'll usually gain in the fives and convert in the fives gain in the five pounds per day and convert five pounds to one pound of gain five pounds of feed one pound of gain right correct those are um if you're not familiar with industry averages they're a lot different than that the average feed conversion is a lot closer to seven and seven and a half probably and average gains are in the threes not in the fives right well sure as a year one probably for a calf four four pounds and six pounds feed to gain i suppose is would be pretty good and we're yeah. doing five we've yeah. had a few sets of cattle that the gain number was bigger than the conversion number mm -hmm. like a chicken like a chicken not no. quite <laughs> a fish. A fish but you know and then <laughs> the problem is you have to manage your heavyweight carcasses at the end <laughs> but <laughs> oh just make bigger plants just make right taller doors they get big. Yeah, they get right. really big. That's right. 1,500, 1,600 pounds. No, there's this value in it's, it's, uh, I think that's one of the, we have a couple conversations like this about the, the value that you, that you, you change an animal for the better. You, you literally start with a different substrate when you have a thousand pound, 900 pound calf on grass than you do with a 900 pound calf fed that just moves from feed yard to feed yard. It is an absolute different beast, right? Yep. But I mean, these are, you know, and I, I pretty well do the check-in on them and we really have no problems. I mean, we're getting big loads of calves off well-managed, you know, well-managed ranches. Mm -hmm. Our customers are kind of really good market or really good managers and we'll get, you know, so I have very few problems out on pasture, but yeah, yeah. But yeah, just using known genetics and capturing the value at the end. You know, hey, have you ever ran uh, any of those calves East River? <laughs> We're doing a few this year. Well, okay. Oh. Have you previous to this year? 
No. Okay. I'm just curious. I mean, so Western South Dakota and up, you know, even further west into Montana, I mean, you've got good, hard native grasses. I mean, a lot of grama grasses, buffalo grass, side oats. And you're going to come East River and you're going to have some rome and little bluegrass pastures. Oh, you're talking grass and cattle there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, the pasture rent's too high. We well, can run more. Mm-hmm. No, I don't know. It's still too high. Well, it's just better over here. Remember the first time when you came East River to go to college, and you're like, this place is amazing. I'm never going to leave. I love East River. Remember that? Well, the grass might look better, but I don't think it packs the punch that <laughs> no. it does out here. I don't think that's not what you said. You were just like every other guy at SDSU, gal from SDSU from West River that was like, this place is terrible. The humidity is oppressive. And well, it's flat and it's humid, and boy, there's kind of wintry over there, too. That's true. That's true. <laughs> you, gotta be, you gotta be tough to live East River. You gotta say. be pretty tough. <laughs> we might have the scenery, but those guys back there know how to make money, I think. So, uh, when I ch- touched base with you last week, you said that tomorrow was a pretty big day at the ranch because uh, you were going to maybe install some vents collars, or are they not vents? Can I say vents? Yep. Okay. This is a not so. an endorsement of vents because I don't know enough to endorse vents, but we're going to say in it vents. Well, we're trying virtual fencing. That's right. the new. That's the new thing. Yep. And the vents. Um, does vents have like an exclamation point after it? Is like vents. You know, is it or is it just? regular and it's a sound How do you, exclamation point. i'm not sure i think it's just i think it's just regular i always then they should put a <laughs> remember when uh, jeb bush was running for president in the primary and his uh, his whole campaign was jeb with an exclamation point yeah it so was. It looked, like jeb like somehow that made him like alive instead of just being a like a slightly comatose person <laughs> that jeb. does make more sense yeah. you know it's like not how most people would describe the guy with an exclamation point but I think it would work with vents. So tell us about... It's very shocking. Like, oh, though. Shocking. like the You know, I mean, the exclamation point. That's right. Like, <laughs> and, and the shocking pun will make more sense later when Britain tells us what that does. Yeah, you know, that ranch with the bell is pretty good size. Um, and the pastures were pretty big. We've, we have cross-fenced some of them. I think that that also makes the place good, though, is having... A lot of country and you know those cows do really well up there they're fat on nothing and the calves are huge and it it is a good place but um we're kind of land managers you know down at the home ranch we uh run a pretty management intensive grazing system where this time of year we're moving cattle every two to three days kind of may and june trying to clip it off um similar to mowing your lawn you know it feels like we get a month of free grazing that way and we really increase almost doubling double the stocking rate on this ranch you know small pastures moving a lot and when the when it's early in the growing season we kind of clip it off and it grows right back and rest it but um up there's different bigger pastures bigger groups of cows and uh some more terrain so that's where this virtual fencing came in kind of allows us to maybe do some more rotation and some of that without as much labor, as much moving. So basically what fence is, is you have a collar on the cow, um, similar to like a dog fence, you know, Mm -hmm. 
So okay. tone is audible when they get to the line, and then if they don't change from the audible, it shocks them with the collar. Um, you know, you can set it up on your computer. You can set up to move a planned move or whatever. Some of that stuff I wanted to try just uh, holding the cattle closer in the pasture to the pens when we're AIing and things like that. One of the coolest things is you can uh, actually lock stuff out, which I think is maybe more important than, you know, moving them. What do you mean? Well, we have we have one of the most active sage grouse leks in South Dakota. The lek is their dancing grounds in the spring. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it, so it drums, um, right? Yep. Can you hear that on the microphone? I can hear that. No, yeah. is it is it that rapid or not? I don't know. I'm always Kevin and I never have made it up there to watch him dance. Oh, how terrible is that? Like That's, I want, yeah, it's my yeah, dream yeah. and I never go do it. You got to take the time to watch the dance. When okay. we went antelope hunting last fall, yeah. they were dancing it, like, and then it was really? like dark and all of a sudden we heard this thump. Like, what is that? Oh, oh in Somebody, Wyoming. Yeah. Oh, huh. sage grouse. I've away. watched the, I've watched cool. the parade, you know, the sharp tails dance a lot and that's fun. Hmm. So you're Lex and that's like kind of a, well, that's a okay. What is a lek? Like, visually describe what a lek looks like. Well, this looks like a piece of prairie, but that's where they do their dancing at. So, like, how do you recognize? Like, is there any like? Does the ground get wore down? Like, is there yeah, the ground spots? gets wore down. There's lots of poop around there. Okay, is that where they mate? That's where they mate and dance. dance Which, for, in and, all honesty, we stay out of that pasture at that time of year anyway. Okay. Like. Okay. That's not that's something that we're pretty aware of and aren't gonna go in there till later in the season anyway. But this events thing is just really cool in that aspect that you could just lock that out or say you had a bad dam or something. You could just take that area virtually, draw a fence around it, and keep the cows out of it. It is pretty darn cool. Instead of spending two days building fence, it was just five minutes on my computer and be done. So okay. And then that that's controlled is that uh Phones, satellites, I mean, repeaters, or what kind of mechanism communicates with those collars? Yeah, there's towers that we put up. We had to have three towers to cover the ranch and runs mm-hmm. off cell phone, and then the collars are GPS. Okay. Okay. And you collar the cows? Those towers. Collar the cows, but you don't collar the calves, right? Yep. And the calves just kind of generally stick with the cow, and, I mean, there's still perimeter fences. Right. I don't think you can, like, have a cornfield with gravel roads around it without a fence. I don't think it's quite that. I don't want to do that yet. But, yeah, but just think of the, maybe the calves could graze the fresh grass outside of the line. There's no harm in that, right? Forage-based creep feeding. Forage-based creep feeding. There you go. I like that. Yep. I like that. Or just a feeder. Not a creepy. Right, it's true. <laughs> just let the calves go eat out of the feeder. Oh, yeah. You know, That's I mean, true. you need to have yeah, you could actually a panel in front of the creep feeder to not let the cows in. You can do real creep feed. Ooh, to- wow. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. We don't creep feed. Why? Well, somebody, did you say you can't have it? You could have corn stalks with the gravel road around it, though, and have your cows collared and not have to put well, a hot wire fence, right? No, I think you still need to. Really? Yeah. It's got to get to that point. It's not that perfected yet. It needs to get there. Because yeah. that's where it needs to get I mean, there. Think of the time saving. Well, wouldn't it be cool Huge. if you could like, just send them home? 
like go to go to the corn stalks and it just like beeps them all the way there. And just and put an electric fence along the road. So they can just walk within the electric fence all the way to your home yeah. place. A great way to graze down the ditches. <laughs> you think you could get it to where you could make the cows organize into like an eat beef like thing and then take a, a yes. aerial drone footage <laughs> like they do with the bail processors. You know what I mean? You think you could do that with Vince? Is it? Let, me, let me get them on and then we'll work okay. on it. Okay. I, I wonder if Vince knows of all the <laughs> possibilities <they have. laughs> Jared, I'll introduce Jared. He'll tell them all about it. Well, I did. I met the guy out of your tour, didn't I? Oh, yep. Yeah. Yep, tall yep. guy from San Francisco? Yep. Yep. I met him. We didn't talk very long, but I didn't get into any of this stuff. <laughs> oh boy! So You'll how many? Have to send him some ideas. How many? Uh, how many cows are you going to events tomorrow? Uh, collar or whatever you call it. Three hundred and twenty. Okay. Okay. We're starting with half. What does events collar cost? Uh you actually rent them for the year, Curveball. which I think is good because as they increase technology, you're not stuck with a oh, bunch yeah. of old collars. I'm sure though. Okay. Like five years from now, though. The Vince collars you have today are going to be like nobody wants them. Well, you'd think. I think that's a great, great plan. That's true. It's just like the iPhone plan. You don't even own your phone anymore. You don't? Well, I should say that. They try to make you rent it. They try to make you rent it. It's a scam. I got to get a phone next week. I didn't know that. That's going to be a thing. Uh, Yeah, you own it, but it's you pay for it each month, which is more like renting it. Yeah, people people complain about a lot of stuff, but why is nobody talking about this subscription based society we're into now? Oh, I know. Like, how much money could you lose paying subscriptions every year for everything that you want to get? How much money can you lose paying subscriptions on things that you forgot you subscribed to? Exactly, it's, it's a, a scam. Lot. It's a huge scam. It's a lot, and they're always like just enough. We're like, ah, it's just not worth calling. Like, I don't oh. my password. Like it's fourteen dollars. I'll get it next month, and then it's seven seven years later. You know, you're still subscribed to some whatever thing. You know what I mean? Like, we don't have good enough internet to get all the movie subscriptions yet. But yeah, oh yeah. You should start doing that with that with bulls. Well, they do have bull leasing programs, Mm, but just do it. You know what? You take this bull. We'll give you. We'll send you an invoice every month for four hundred dollars. Yeah, that'd be great. Just keeps going. <laughs> so just just $400 a month. You don't have that bull anymore? $400 a month. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you should have called. I didn't know you didn't have it. Yeah, he's here. We've been feeding him for you. Yeah. You, just, you haven't wanted to use him. So he's alive. Okay, so you subscribe to Vents. Yep. I hope there's like a, a Vents newsletter that comes out like a, a i'm not talking their subscriptions bad like everything else i was just kind of going off on a no. tangent about the um, world but no i think they're i think that lease that thing is perfect like i said you're not stuck with a bunch of old technology in five years yeah that's a good point one of the things that we had uh, pre-thought about before this podcast was talking about the challenges that you have to cover the large acres you need to this is innovative to do that. You know, you talked about not having to fence as many areas and that. What else? I mean, yeah, you've got more people to do it. you got some hired labor to do it. But on this side of the state and in the eastern part of the country, I mean, there's a lot smaller areas to cover. So what other challenges do you have to get over 
that amount of acres? Oh, I don't know. It's not that bad. <laughs> time, time takes a lot of time. Any, you know, right now we're in the thick of AI and we probably don't get up there as much as we should, but any, any free day you're going to check your lens, you know, <laughs> when you, yeah, do you the AI in or checking your lens. Seems okay. like. So do you think that if you had the cows used to the vents collars, I can't get over the vents and you're heat detecting and one comes into heat, she stands. Do you think you could like sort her off based on reprogramming her little, uh, you know, kind of vocal recognition. Well, I'm hoping, I think we're going to have to do some. That'd be cool. That's what I was hoping we could do. Cause we spend a lot of time heat detecting second cycles. Right. Mm-hmm. And if somehow we could watch and we, you know, we're writing all down the numbers and paying attention to what they're doing basically writing down the numbers when they're in heat. If you could go back and track that collar the two days before she's in heat or whatever, and somehow could you uh, write a program or something that would tell that how they're moving is how they're in heat? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I think it'd be easy. I mean, especially in the range, like you can do it with a pedometer and dairy. I mean, just those little ankle bracelet things that dairy cows wear. You can, the amount of steps per day, like triple during estrus i mean it's it's night and day oh yeah and then they'll all be in a whole group you know oh. Well, oh, plus i think the there's a lot i think the possibilities are endless plus the collar is actually have like what a vertical like just the motion in the collar would be a red flag if she's riding you know right sounds like a great plan yeah if you could double that up like with a like a modern day heat watch with virtual fencing rotational capabilities that's a that's pretty cool mm-hmm. functionality mm-hmm. yeah does vents know just run her in does v- do vents people they, they, they gotta, are they thinking this big i don't know i think they are good we've talked good. good i don't know how much i'm supposed to talk about it i don't know well maybe we're not i don't know that's what i said <laughs> I, I, I can't endorse endorse vents <laughs> it sounds like i am but i just i love the capabilities i'm excited about what's coming up next I'm excited to not fence so much, too. Oh, yes. And I kind of enjoy fencing, but have you seen the price of barbed wire? Price of everything. Oh, how about a railroad tie? What? How much they cost? Like, a two by four is like eight bucks now. Oh. Railroad tie is probably 30. Yeah. They were like 20, 25, I think, Before. last fall. Posts have gone up. Well, well see, we, just, we buy materials as they're cheap, and then you have some to use whenever you need them. Oh, I have an idea. We could have a railroad tie, railroad tie subscription business where you could rent one. <laughs> where you could be there. Rent there them. you go. Rent yes. them by the tie. It's only 35 cents yeah. a day. Right. Yeah. Sounds like a heck of a deal. <laughs> right. For pennies a day. <laughs> Let's huh. talk about sage grouse a little bit. The fact that you had sage grouse in your property, some people would say, okay, hey, this is a species of concern, right? So we have we have biologists, we have uh, conservation groups that are taking note of our property now, right? Because we have them. And some people say, well, I don't know if I like that attention. I don't know if I like lots of other groups interested in what I'm doing with my land. But you guys had a different approach. Tell us about some of the opportunities that came up and about because of the sage grouse lex. You hear a lot of people say that, and I don't. I don't know. We've always kind of been land managers, you know, or 
always been pretty into grazing and increasing stocking rate and increasing range condition. And we didn't really think of it that way, I guess. Um, they were just there. We're excited about sage grouse, you know, that place in Montana had them. And every time we'd see them, we'd be pretty excited. And everybody on the operation, somebody sees one, everybody's talking about it, you know, and where we saw it and all that. And, um, yeah. And with the deal with that ranch is it puts you at the top of the equip list right away. So, I mean, we closed on that ranch in November and by January, I think we were digging a well. Um, it was pretty underwatered. We dug a 4,000 feet deep well. Oof. And uh, I think we put 25 miles of pipeline on it the, the first year. Hmm. You know, it was, yeah, it's a pretty tough country out here. The water is a big deal and, you know, you can't rely on dams as much and, so yeah, thought it was really important to put pipeline on and the sage grouse kind of helped you get funding for that because they realized, you know, they realized the grazing is a, is good for the sage grouse and manage grazing and wow. the water helps, helps us keep it away from the sage grouse habitat and helps sage grouse. Well, the wildlife needs water too. So if you I mean, if the cattle don't have water, there's not water for anything else. So it's pretty tough to survive the that view on the top of the two top there looking to the north that is as unadulterated pristine view of the northern plains prairie as i have ever seen it's a really neat yeah, view there's not a high line pole there's not a road there's not nothing a, a roof that was, a house nothing Just we had a, had a cow from kansas yep she she'd never seen anything like that where there wasn't a road or a power line or anything oh there. you can probably see 40 miles can't you 30 I don't know. Yep, from that hill, you I think you can see on the right day, you can see South Dakota, Wyoming, and Montana for sure. Oh, there you go. Lots of ways. Yeah, it's it's really neat. So literally the only three things you can see up there is a little bit of fence, which once we get vents perfected, like two, three months <laughs> from now, we won't even need that, right? <laughs> a little bit of fence, some stone johnnies, which is early settlers, um, kind of landmarks. Stacked up rocks. There's yeah. several of those. They're really cool. And teepee rings. Just, just, and a couple of cell phone towers. Ah, dang it. Really? If, if to the back, if, yeah, yeah. If you look north, you're fine. We're not going to get vents to work if we don't have a tower. I, I think it has probably the best view of the Black Hills, also. Oh, I never looked the other way. Never thought about it. Huh. No. Huh. I'll have to come back. It's a very interesting piece of country. Hey, any, did you, were there any regulations with the teepee rings as far as? grazing management goes or no you know the with the equip they walk everything you're putting in and oh make sure make you're not sure digging up yeah. oh, they have an archaeologist come yeah. out and make sure you're not digging through them but yeah i don't know as a family i think we'd pretty well want to preserve those ourselves you know what i mean or mm -hmm. <coughs> yeah the government it's, cool, it's good man. that they tell us that but we would also take it upon ourselves to not disturb that i mean those things have been there for how many hundreds of years and right why do i need to go tear them up <laughs> yeah right. yeah i just didn't know if that hindered um any of the grazing it would i mean they have an archaeologist walk all of the lines fencing or pipeline and make sure you're not disturbing that stuff mm -hmm. there's a lot of neat old 
houses, you know, or not houses, but you can see the rock foundations of where the old houses were. Yeah, that'd be a tough place to homestead, you know. There was a ton of homesteads around there, and now, you know, there's one. But. Yeah, they didn't have a 4,000-foot well. Yeah. <laughs> nope. Yeah. That will, uh, that will change your plans in a hurry if that's where you have to live. It's not good for farming. No, but that's all right. So that, that entire place is all pretty much native, isn't it? I mean, there's... Yep, yep. There was an 80-acre hay field, and we don't go up there and hay it. How about that? Hmm. Otherwise, I think it's all native range. Yeah. So your cows are grazing from, what, April till November? Oh, yeah. Uh, May 15th is kind of the turnout oh, date okay. around here. May yeah. 10th, maybe. And then so we'll, we'll feed them there, and that ranch up there is big enough. Chad can kind of stockpile some winter grass in a okay. couple of pastures, winter forage. And uh, I think he got along probably till the 1st of February this year. Wow. You know, his goal is kind of 1st of January, but he's made it past there most years we've been up there, I think. And then Just grazing. Feeding some hay, buying that some that you put up, some that you bought, and then uh, doing some corn stock grazing, some cover crop grazing, even on the irrigation project. Is that right? Yep, we're we can rent some corn stocks just five miles north of us, and we'll just trail cows up there and graze and trail them back. Kind of same thing. Kind of first of January, we'll pull them off of there. Um, my cover crop. Ed and I have what I call a hobby farm. We, it's basically, we have some old alfalfa fields that need replanted, right? So we're just, uh, we're hobby farming. We wanted no-till farms, so we're trying it. You know, 150, I think I have 130 acres this year. I've planted rye, uh, triticale, oats. We're kind of double cropping the rye and triticale. I really like the fall planted crops because we always get some moisture in April, it seems like, and we could chop that, and then we'd go back in with uh, cover crops on that. That's good. We're system. probably terrible cover crop managers, oh. and we don't have a very good environment. It does it forgets to rain out here in August sometimes? Wow, I think we're in a bigger drought than you are. So, <laughs> yeah, I don't know right now. You know, but I mean, the cover crops—they'd come, and we probably didn't graze them at the correct time. But because we just had that corn stock stuff leased and we'd go up there and I, that one year I came back in January and I bet 350 cows camped on there for a month though, you know, mm-hmm. well, that's pretty good. They had access to hay fields around that cover crop field, but I mean, they grazed that thing for a month. Okay. Where, and so, okay. So when they were on the cover crop field and they also on some hay field, which would have been probably predominantly Western wheatgrass or, or would have been crested or what was alfalfa? What was the wheat, the adjacent hay fields that they would have had access to? Some intermediate, some crested, okay. alfalfa. Um, okay. You know, there's a little brome on the creek and stuff. But yeah. So when they're out there in the cover crop, it's January, right? It's all frozen. The stuff's half stinky almost, right? Because you get those winter warm ups where it actually gets warm enough for those turnips to start rotting a little bit. Uh, they're out there with a eating and laying in the cover crop were they eating the cover crop and laying in the hay field i don't know i don't pay that much attention well, we gotta watch 
Why? Why do you ask that? I don't know. I'm just. It's, I'm it's not. Uh, curious about it the. Probably di- didn't get, it probably didn't get tall enough for them to really lay on it. But. You're right. I'm just thinking about the dispersion of nutrients, the the nutrient transfer, and the you know where they're at in both times. You know, and we'd have fed a little hay on there too, but I mean, supplemental grazing with cover crops. Last year, I was really impressed. It well, July twenty eighth. It rained, so I got excited and planted cover crops because it always rains during the rally. It didn't rain again until August 28th, and that stuff sat there and didn't dry up, and it rained August 28th, and I think you could watch that stuff grow the next day. Mm. And then September 8th, it froze. Oh, yeah. (laughs) 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 Looking so good. Frozen. but it, it came up with the first rain and it sat there and when it rained again it just took off and then eight days later it froze but so what do you got in that field this year oh i planted corn that's oh. a terrible everybody's planting corn now we're gonna have two well wow, but yeah i was gonna do it before that i basically for weed control and wanted to try planting some no-till dry land corn sure how's it look What's that? What's the crop? What's the uh, Mead County dryland cr- um, corn crop report look like? It's up. It's up. <laughs> okay. Well, good luck with that. We're, you- we're like I said, it's my hobby farm. We're just kind of farming whatever we feel like. Yep. There you go. But I did, you know, planted rye and then some oats and some cover crops in one, and now we're back to alfalfa again and did another 130 acres this year, but. Or last year. Well, I think some of those old hay stands, it's about time to get them freshened up, isn't it? I mean, I think I see oh, a lot of people. Uh, it was probably time 10 years ago. Who knows? Well, I, I see a lot of people take really old stands of hay fields, and they're taking taking stuff off, right? They're bailing, bailing hay off it every single year, and they're like, ah, it just doesn't do much, you know? And I was like, I think they're really, really devoid of devoid. nutrients. In there. Yeah, yeah. And they get so almost sodbound though too and that yeah. soil becomes so stagnant year after year it's the same thing and your removal rate is yeah. it's just it's, it's through the roof of, as far as nutrients go and nothing goes yeah like and that. we can haul it we haul a lot of manure onto it oh that's good it was kind of funny though the one year it rained 2019 it must have rained a lot we you know had cover we must have had rye and then we planted cover crops and then next year we went back in with oats and there was only about two days there where you could get in the field and heck the neighbor was even wondering when we had that time to plant that but i think it was the cover crops allowed us to get in the field way faster sure. when nobody else around us could you know well, we got just a couple minutes here. Or we're going to start wrapping it up uh, any closing comments or parting wisdom that do you have in mind, Britton? Have you got some notes? <laughs> we never heard one quote that Not you mentioned. one quote. We never heard. I don't know. You got to have those quotes kind of just ready in the moment. I know. I know. I think the one James really liked that I told him was, those yearlings have eight hours to eat and eight hours of sleep and eight hours to get in trouble. So <laughs> that yearling running is kind of a, a job. But. I think you get some vents on them. That's going to cure that. You think so? Yeah, you can just watch them from a, you just like get a drone above them, satellite imagery. You see them start acting up, like just like sap them. Just enough nope. of that. Nope. That's the other. We need to get 
kind of the drone thing perfected, I think. Could save a lot of time traveling those long distances, mm-hmm. Jer- Justin. There you go. Yep. Yep. We spend a lot of time driving, spend a lot of time riding four-wheelers. and They should have a carbon oh. offset program for all ranchers to buy a drone so they don't have to start your pickup to go check. Oh, that'd be a pretty good idea. Why don't they have that? I don't Jared know can work on that. I'll... Uh... I'll report back. All right. So, I don't know if we covered much. I just we got so much to cover. I don't know if we touched on anything. Oh, we sure <laughs> did. We touched on everything. We did. We got through a lot of it. We got through a lot of it. No. Um. Why? Well, I, I want to remind everybody. You know, Blair Brothers Angus, uh, providing sources of one to fifty bulls, or however many a person needs, from one to a pot load. You know, we want to shout that out. Yeah. I think at this point, it's yeah. fair we can endorse Blair All right. Brothers. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and thank you. Got bread heifers for sale this fall. Yep, there we go. Hey, how about a shout out to your your? You got we never talked about your family either, huh? No, we didn't. You got to give a shout out to your kids, <laughs> Jack and Colt. There they go. They're, they're be pumped to hear it. Right? There it is. Yep. Jack's been working hard putting in cedars. I don't know He's if they're gonna be patient enough to listen fifty one minutes into the podcast before <laughs> our names are mentioned. Though, we'll just play the end. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He was riding his horse today gathering stuff, so he's pretty excited about that. That's awesome. All right, Britton, well, certainly appreciate the time you've taken. Hey, this no is, problem. A lot of good stuff, and certainly uh, circle the wagons back around at the end of the season to hear more about uh, how this grazing season went for you. But uh, to, you listen, to our listeners as well, we certainly appreciate you listening to Episode 5, and stay tuned as we continue on more with uh, Roots and Ruminants podcast. So thanks for listening.